0: So, Matthew chapter 13, and the parables, just a few verses 47 through 50. So, I want to back up and start with chapter 13, verse 10, read a few verses, and then we'll get there. So, let's stand together as we read God's Word. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, 13, verse 10 and 11. Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered the disciples, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And then um, verse 16 and 17. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And then these series of parables, and we'll go through those later. But let's just say, start with verse 47, the parable of the net. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into the containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of this age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word. Sam did a great job introducing the summer series on the parables, and he informed us as we come to the parables that we need to have this question as we come looking at the parables. And the question that he asked us to bring to the parables is what does the parable say about the king and the kingdom? So when you come to these parables, one question you want to ask is, what does the parable tell you you about the king and the kingdom? What does the parable tell you about the king, who is Jesus, and what does it tell you about the kingdom of God? And so my primary focus this morning is to give some clarity specifically to this frequently used phrase, the kingdom of God, or as Matthew says it, the kingdom of heaven. So it's used quite a bit in the gospels and sometimes it's the kingdom of heaven which is typically Matthew and the other times it's the kingdom of God and that phrase is is means the same thing. So this phrase that Jesus frequently uses the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is used 85 times in the gospels. It's used 35 times Uh, In the book of Matthew and in this chapter Matthew 13 it's used eight times so you use a phrase eight times in one chapter if you're a a astute reader you know that's an important concept eight times in a single chapter and we also know it's it's the the theme that dominated Jesus's life and his preaching. In Matthew chapter 4, he comes out of the wilderness where he's had this 40 days. And he's, he's making this transfer from this private life to this public ministry. And he's going into his ministry and he delivers his very first sermon in Matthew chapter 4. And it's one sentence, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's his very first sermon. Repent. Turn around. You all are going in the wrong direction. You need to turn around and see the king and enter in the kingdom of God and go in a different direction is what he's talking about. So it's an important phrase and especially to understand so many of the parables. And what I want to do are three things this morning. One, I want to talk about what is the kingdom of God. Second, I want to... ...look at this um, very unusual thing that Jesus says in Matthew thirteen eleven ...that there's some kind of secret. In the Greek, that word is mystery. There's something mysterious about the kingdom of God. Something that you couldn't previously see... ...and these parables are helping you see something that hasn't been seen before. And then I want to look at this one particular parable, the parable of the net... Just see what we learn about the kingdom of God in that one parable. So this morning, most of the sermon is going to be talking about this concept, the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you that's going to take some hard listening on your part. So if you came hoping to dial into the easy listening channel this morning... I'm sorry, you got uh, NPR or whatever would be difficult for you to listen to. You're, you're going to have to lean in. You're going to have to engage because it's very easy to talk about a story like the parable of the net. And thankfully, that ends this sermon. So you'll go, okay, I get this part. Uh, but talking about the kingdom of God is we're talking about a concept, not a story. And so it takes a little bit more effort to explain. And therefore, it takes a little more effort in your listening. And I think you'll be really helped at the end is when you leave, whether it's in a car ride or lunch or later today, just try to bring it back up in a conversation and say, did I understand what Paul was trying to say? Is that what the Bible is trying to say? Am I clear about that? Because it's really helpful to be clear on the kingdom of God, especially as you enter into talking about or looking at all these parables. So what is the, the kingdom of heaven? When, you hear, when I hear the word kingdom, when I just thought about that this week, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is a picture in my high school history book. And the picture that comes to my, my mind in my high school history book is a map, a geographical map, usually of Europe, and it has some kind of colored amoeba-looking blob on the map. And what it tells you is this is the king or the empire of this particular reign. Anybody remember those maps? You look at them and it just has this blob spread across the map and says, "Okay, this is this kingdom and it 's usually not in a particular country it 's sort of like a blob it 's spread out all across a, a particular geographical region. and so the blob indicated. A kingdom or an empire. It might be the Ottoman Empire that spread across Persia. It might be the Roman Empire that that spread across, you know, sort of both ways, east and west, out of Rome. It, it might be the British Empire that at one point sort of wrapped around the world. And so, in in the maps, they would show you, well, this is this is the king and the kingdom. Now, now the king might be in uh, Rome, or the king might be in England, but the the range of his effective will was was all across this vast territory. And so inside that territory, uh, what the king wanted to see done, his will, got done inside that kingdom. So it didn't just get done right there in Rome or right there in England. It got done in this whole kingdom, even if the king was in a particular location. Everybody in that kingdom was obedient to the king's will. Now, that's not a perfect picture, but it's close enough for us to think about that that one definition we can give to the kingdom of God is the range of his effective rule or the range of his effective dominion. And within that territory... Everyone and everything obeys God's will. So the kingdom of God is is the range of God's effective rule or his dominion. And inside that territory, everything and everyone obeys God's will. Now, let let me have one point of clarity here. And this is where it's helpful to just really be engaged in your listening. When Jesus uses the term, the kingdom of God, he's not referring to the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God means that God is ultimately sovereign over all things. He's the supreme authority over all things. Yet, we know that there's still territory, there's, there's still vast territory, as a matter of fact, where everything or everyone doesn't obey God's will. And most of that territory is in the human heart. So, so let's just have an example. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then what does it say? Thy kingdom or your kingdom come. Your will be done. See, your will is being done in heaven. And I'm praying that your will would be done as it was and as it is in heaven down here on earth. So when we pray this part of the Lord's Prayer, what are we praying Thy thy kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, Jesus is teaching us that heaven is a realm or heaven is a, a territory or heaven is a kingdom. And inside this kingdom, God's will is being done. But there's another realm. Jesus understands there's another realm. There's another territory. There's another kingdom. There are actually more than just one kingdom. But there are other kingdoms. And inside those kingdoms, God's will isn't always being done. Or maybe it's not being done at all. And so the prayer is we're trying to move that kingdom into this realm on the earth. So when we pray... Father, may, may your kingdom come, not may your kingdom come into existence, because it's already in existence, but may it be extended. May your rule be extended in, into my heart, into my home, into my business, into my country, into my community, into the world. May, may your rule take over at all points personal social political may your will be done down here on earth as it's being done in heaven sorry that makes sense so you're nodding you're either nodding asleep or you're you're nodding yes okay so that's a concept it's hard but we want to understand when we're talking about the kingdom of god it's Where the king is and and this place where everything obeys his will. And we're not not all in that kingdom right here. So we're saying, God, may your kingdom come down here. May your rule expand in my own life. May expand out into my family, my business, my world. Let's get another example in this first one-sentence sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is telling us at least two things. One, there are other kingdoms at hand. His kingdom is at hand, but there are alternative kingdoms that are at hand. There are persons other than God, like you and me, who are still allowed on earth to have say, which is contrary to God's will. There, there are many, many, many kingdoms of people who are still trying to run their own show. They're trying to be the little king and their own kingdom, and they don't want God's will or God's reign or God's dominion in their own life. And so Jesus comes and says, I know there are other kingdoms, and I'm saying another kingdom, my kingdom is at hand. And second, the great news is that when Jesus arrived, the kingdom of God is at hand. Why? Because he's the king. And so there's this new nearness To the kingdom of God. It's extending into our world in really a terrific way because the king himself has come. Jesus has come. And incredibly, the king has shown up on the planet and the king right now in a very gentle, in a very grace filled, in what we'll see is a very surprising way, he comes into the world and he's inviting people of all kinds to come into the kingdom. He's saying, come in, enter the kingdom right now. The kingdom of God is at hand because the king is at hand. And now I'm extending this invitation to any kind of people from every tribe and tongue and nation that you and me right now, we can enter into his presence and enter into his kingdom where his dominion and his rule covers over our life. That's an invitation. What an incredible invitation. But it's not an invitation to accept Jesus now and enter the kingdom later. Sometimes we get that thought in mind. Well, I'm accepting Jesus now, and I sort of live my life, and then when I die, I go to the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. That's not what it is. It's not like an Evite that you reply, right, okay, I'm replying, yes, I want that, but the, the, the actual party is a long way from now. It's not that. It's the Evite is now in the party's right now. As soon as you say now, you're in. You're in the kingdom of God. You're living in the kingdom of God. It's happening right now. It's what Jesus means in John 10.10. 10. This is a verse many of you will be familiar with. The thief comes. The thief comes. The, the ruler of another kingdom dark kingdom the kingdom on earth the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy see every other kingdom leads to destruction and then jesus says but i've come this new kingdom this new kingdom is is at hand that that you might have life and you might have life to the full See, a, there are other kingdoms at hand, but right now Jesus is saying, you can right now join with me as the king and enter the kingdom and begin right now to experience this life to the full. That's his invitation. Let me just mention how Paul talks about this, the Apostle Paul. Colossians 1.13, which we looked at just last spring, I believe, or maybe it was in the fall. Paul says this, he... God rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son of, of, that he loves. He's, he's rescued us out of this one kingdom of darkness, and he's transferred in, us into the kingdom of the son he's loved, into the kingdom of God. So right now, if we trust in Jesus, we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God. And then he says this in 2 Corinthians three sixteen. When anyone turns to the Lord, when anyone gets transferred into this new kingdom, we behold the glory of the Lord and are right now being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So let me just see if I can make this cl- as clear as I can. You're, if you don't know Jesus, you're living in darkness. It doesn't matter if you think you're living in the light, you're not. The light is Jesus. He's the light of the world. He's come into this light, and, and darkness is not going to overcome it. And he's coming in, and he's saying, I'm the king. And the way you get into the kingdom, the way you get transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light is you trust in Jesus. You say, yes, you're the king, and I want you to rule over my life. And now that I get that transfer into the kingdom, now I'm being changed right now from one degree of glory to another. It's not a 180 for most of us. It's just one degree of glory. Of transformation to another. Some days. Maybe a lot. Some days doesn't look like a lot. But it's transferred. And transformation. When we think about being in the kingdom of God. It's both being transferred. And having transformation. It's not, as Dallas Willard likes to say, great writer, barcode faith. You know the barcode, right? The barcode, let's say, at the grocery store. And now you have the self-checkout. I've never quite figured it out. I guess they got cameras on there, but, I mean, I'm not going to throw a bunch of stuff I didn't pay for. But it just feels like you should. You know, like, who's watching? Uh, but, you know, you know what you can do in a barcode, Right? I mean, you can take the barcode off a can of soup, slap it on the most expensive steak, and run it across the scanner, right? And the scanner doesn't care about the content. The scanner only cares about the barcode. So when you run it across, it doesn't matter what's in the content. All that that matters is I read the barcode, and the barcode said can of soup. I don't care at all about content, And and what Jesus is saying is he cares about content. He's not just concerned about barcode. He's not just concerned that you say the Lord's Prayer, you've said the sinner's Prayer, you've read the Apostles' Creed. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm concerned about the barcode and the content. I'm concerned about the transfer and the transformation. So when you step into the kingdom of God, there is a transfer that God does all by himself. No help needed by, by you and me. Amen. But once you get into the kingdom of God, the reason you know when you're the kingdom of God, you're being changed from one degree of glory to another. You're being transformed. It's not just a barcode. Hey, I said the right thing and sort, sort of when I get to heaven, I go through the scanner. Oh, he said it. He's in. No, it matters. Your your content matters, and we're going to see that here in just a minute. Okay, so the kingdom of God, transfer, transformed, all by the grace of the king, who's Jesus, who's at hand, and he's asking, he's pleading, come into the kingdom. Come into the kingdom right now. Okay, now there's this mystery or secret. Chapter 13, verse 11. To you it has been given to know. So something's being given by Jesus, and we're going to know something that used to be a secret or a mystery about the kingdom of heaven. so... People used to think one way about the kingdom of heaven, but Jesus comes in and says, well, they couldn't quite see it, and I'm here to help you see something that couldn't be seen. And it's secrets or mysteries, so it's not just one, but there's at least one main one, and it's helpful to keep that in mind, especially as we look at the parables here in Matthew. One of the main mysteries is it's helpful for us to remember that almost all the followers, all the people who listened to Jesus were Jewish people. They were very informed of the Old Testament. They were people of the book. They understood Uh, What the Old Testament said and when they read the Old Testament prophecies, especially Daniel or Isaiah or Joel and when they heard "Hey, a king is coming or the Messiah is coming, what they had in their mind was sort of this really big version of King David. King David, they knew that, that this person was coming from the line of King David. And so just like you and I might imagine is some kind of powerful ruler who's going to be the king, and he's going to finally come, and he's going to get rid of all sin, he's going to get rid of all enemies, and he's going to have all of his people live peacefully inside of his kingdom. That's something like that what they thought. But one of the main surprises to Jesus' Jewish followers, it's not surprising to us because we're not Jewish and we're not, we don't live in the first century, but one of the surprises is discovering that the king and the kingdom is not a one-stage event, it's a two-stage event. See, they thought everything was just going to happen at one time. When the king came back, it was all going to happen in either one event or sort of a series of events in one stage. And Jesus comes in and says, hey, here, there's a secret. It comes in two stages. First, Jesus, the king would come as a suffering servant to atone for sin. In this first stage, he, he would sacrifice. The king sacrifices himself for the people. Shocking. Surprising. Mysterious. And then second, Jesus would come again with power and glory. We can read that in Revelation 21. So you has got a first stage he comes... To atone for sin, he sacrifices himself. The second stage, he comes again with power and glory. And like I said, for us, we, seems, that seems obvious, but for the first century, it's a mystery. And the reason we know it's a mystery is because John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, when Jesus shows up and says, he's the king. Remember, John the Baptist says, here's the king. He's the, the, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, at the end of John's life, He sends a message to Jesus. Imagine this. Are you the one? Or should we be looking for somebody else? See, John was this thunderous preacher. Comes out of the the wilderness. And you just, in in your mind, this this is a wild man. He's down at the River Jordan. He's like, repent, you wicked people. God's. Judgment is coming on the earth, and Jesus shows up and says, and here he is. And then Jesus acts so totally different. And John's like, I mean, are you the one, or are we we supposed to be looking for somebody else? The disciples who spent three years around Jesus, after he dies, they're walking along the road, and they tell Jesus, they don't know it's Jesus, imagine them saying this, We had hoped Jesus was the one who would redeem Israel. See, we had this big version of King David coming back and he died on a cross. So I don't know what to think about this king. See, they had a different idea of what the king and the kingdom would be about. So it's surprising, and Jesus is saying, in the parables, I'm going to help you see some things about the king. I'm going to help you see some things about the kingdom that you wouldn't have known before. And one of those main things is that this is a two-stage event. And our theologians have tried to describe the space that we live in in history. It's the Old Testament time, then there's Jesus' time, and there's our time, and then there's the, the end of the age. And then theologians like to say, okay, so what, what is this little space we occupy? And they come up with some great ways to describe it. We're in the already and not yet. So, so the kingdom of God has come. It is at hand, but it's not yet there. I mean, there's still, the kingdom's still going to come. So how is the kingdom here? It's at hand. You can enter it, but yet it's still coming. It's hard to describe And some say it's the already and not yet. Some say it's fulfillment waiting on consummation. Jesus has sort of checked every box, but the the consummation of the kingdom hasn't happened. And I like to impress people with my words, so I like this one best of all. And you can use it when you're around your friends. It's inaugurated eschatology. How do you like that? I mean, you know, you put that... In your pocket and whip it out at lunch. You're a Bible scholar. It's inaugurated eschatology. Let's just break that down. It's inaugurated. Inaugurated is the beginning. Eschatology is the study of things at the end. So we're at the inaugurated eschatology. We're at the beginning of the end. Or we're at the beginning of the beginning of eternal life. We're in this sort of overlap, so to speak. This is the end of the age. That's how the disciples would describe it. We're at the very end. Why? Because the king has come. He's inaugurated something. He's begun something. And the end, the eschaton, the very end is coming. And so we we sit in this very unique spot today, this overlap, where the kingdom has come, and the kingdom is coming. And we're at the beginning of, of the end of this age and the beginning of the beginning of eternity. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to be alive. But Jesus is saying it's surprising the kingdom of God. And I have to tell you some things about the kingdom of God that if just left on your own, you wouldn't figure it out. So I'm going to reveal some things, and he does that primarily in these parables, okay? Okay. Now that, that's all. That's huge, and you might be like, "Wow, okay." So that's what I'm saying. You got to think about it again. You got to talk to somebody else and say, "Let me make sure I got that in my mind." All right. Now let's get to the easy part. So you can lean back. Now we've got the easy listening channel on right now. So this is not hard to. It may be hard to hear, but it's not hard to understand. Now we come to these stories. They're very easy to read, and they're usually pretty easy to understand. There's this series of parables through Matthew 13, and one of the things we're learning about is these secrets, these mysteries of the kingdom of God. And so as Sam talked about last week, the parable of the sower... The word of the kingdom, Matthew thirteen eighteen. you can see that there. The word of the kingdom, it goes out, and it goes out, and it has four different, sort of four different things can happen to the word of the kingdom. Either Satan can uh, snatch it away, trouble can scorch it away, wealth and worry can choke it away, or it can bear fruit. Those are the four different ways the kingdom of God has an effect. And one of the surprising features... Of the word of the kingdom. Is that when the gospel is preached. Three-fourths of the preaching. Doesn't bear any fruit. You see. If you lived in that time. When the king came. And he started saying something. Everybody responded. But what Jesus is saying is. I'm going to say things. And then you as, as the messengers. You're going to say things. And three-fourths of the people. Aren't going to get it. There's not going to be any fruit. Now, it's surprising when it takes into the right soil, as Sam says, it can just blow up. But one of the surprising things is that it's not actually more effective. That's surprising. This is the word of God. This is the creator of all that is, is speaking. And you would think the whole creation would say, whoa, he's speaking, let's move. And three-fourths of them don't move. I was involved with what Austin's involved with, a ministry of young life. And every summer, we would take a bus of kids to a camp, Windy Gap or Sharptop Cove or these other places. And we might, let's just say we had 40 kids on the trip, and we were all in a bus, and we'd drive back home. And we would get down on College Road, coming back towards Longleaf Mall, getting ready to get off the bus, and everyone would sort of be awake and ready to get off the bus. And I'd say, hey, let me tell you this little story, and I'd read the story of the parable of the sower. And say, this week, seed has been thrown out. And some of you are, it just didn't take. Some of you are growing rapidly, it seems like right now. And I just want to let you know what Jesus says is is half of you aren't going to make it. Heat's going to come on. Worries are going to come on. And you're going to get choked out or scorched out. And only 25 percent of you on this bus, 10 out of 40, are going to produce fruit. You be, you be part of that 10. And I'd get off the bus. I remember one time getting off the bus with a guy who just just, just shot up like a weed at camp, and his buddies with a chest of beer in the back of their car. We're heading out to Wrightsville Beach with him as soon as he got off the bus. See, the heat's going to come on. It's going to be difficult. And what we're surprised at is that when the king comes and says something, everyone doesn't stand up. Now, one day that will happen. But it was surprising that it didn't happen right then. The 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 wheat and the weeds, verse 24. I believe Sam's going to preach on this. Next parable. Coming out of the Old Testament, wanting to see a Savior, what most people expected is that he would come with total power. He'd destroy the wicked and reward the righteous. Yet in this parable, when the kingdom is announced, what happens is you got the evil and the good. They're growing right beside each other. That's so surprising. They're They're both growing right beside each other. I can't even believe that. We're not going to see the end of that until... The end of time. The parable of the mustard seed, verse thirty-one and thirty-two. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. This very tiny seed, the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's it's the greatest of shrubs and it has become a tree. And the mystery of the kingdom is that the kingdom came in Jesus like a mustard seed and not like a military commander. See, what we expected was when the king arrived and he came with the kingdom, we expected this giant military commander, he came like a tiny little mustard seed. Hardly even noticeable. But again, planted in the right soil makes a big, big difference. And finally, let's get to our last parable, and this is our close here, the parable of the net. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net, a net that's thrown out into the sea Almost all the times when you see the sea, it's chaos. In Revelation, when uh, Jesus says there's no more sea, he doesn't mean actual water. What he's saying is no more chaos. When when the world was being formed, uh, the Holy Spirit was hovering over what? The, The sea. This chaos. And out of this chaos, God creates something beautiful. So the power of God is thrown out. ...into this chaos, the sea, and it gathers fish or people of every kind. And then, when it was gathered, when it was full, men drew it ashore, they sat down, and then they sorted the good into some containers, and then they threw away the bad. And so that's what it's going to be like at the close of this age. Notice this age, this age that we're in. The angels will come out, separate the evil from the righteous, and throw them into the fiery furnace... And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, so the, the net is the power of the gospel of kingdom. It's thrown out into the chaos of the world. And because of its power, it's drawing all kinds of people into its fold. But then there, there's going to be a time, verse 48, 49, when the net is full. That's to get the end of time. Everything that God wants to see accomplished has been accomplished. The net is full. It's time to bring this age to an end, and we're going to bring this net ashore. Now, if we hadn't read the whole parable, here's my guess how we might have ended it. Certainly, this would have been how I would have ended it. The net has gone out. It's captured all kinds of people. It's full, and we're bringing it back in, and it's the end of the age. And so what happens is, if you weren't in the net, then you go to the fiery furnace, and if you're in the net, then you go into the to the eternal kingdom of God. That's how I would have done it. But that's not how Jesus ends the story. He says the power of the gospel goes out and catches all kinds of people. All kinds of people gets swept up into the power of God. And then when it's full, it comes up. And then notice, notice what he says. The separation described here is not between the fish which didn't get caught in the net and those that did. The separation is between the two kinds of people who both get captured by the net. Both people are captured by the power of the kingdom of God. They're both swept into the net, yet one kind is kept and one kind is cast out into the fire. So here's one of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. It's, it's that people who come under the power of God's kingdom are a mixed bag. Some are true disciples. Some are hypocrites. And here's how I imagine it. The separation at the end of the age. Everyone who's in the net has somehow been captured but the power of the kingdom of God and the time of this age comes to a close, and Jesus brings all those people in. And all if not if most, if not all of those people are saying, I'm in gonna be in the kingdom of God. And he begins to take some people and say, No, you're not in. And I imagine those people saying, I've got the barcode. I said the sinner's prayer. I repeated the Apostles' Creed. But they don't have any content. And Jesus says, I I never knew who you were. He says later in Matthew, their lips know what to say, but what about their heart? Their heart is far from me. It's an arresting parable. It's meant for people inside the church, people who think they're inside the net to say, am I, am I really inside the net? It's not a differentiation between us and people who live, uh, live outside. It's the people inside that are going to get separated. And he's saying that might be, come to a surprise to some of you all, especially if you're really religious. You could still be in the kingdom of darkness and still be in the church. It's not just transfer, it's transformation. So I'm asking you with this parable, is that what happened to you? You're, you're being changed right now from one degree of glory to another or do you just have a barcode you said the sinner's prayer at some point you went to a vacation bible school you went to a camp you said the barcode you got the barcode and you're only planning on using it when you get to heaven that's not going to get you in